our singing and our teaching each other to have that love for God and the desire to dwell with Him one day eternally in heaven is what keeps us going. The Apostle John, as he was writing in the book of Revelation, and in chapter 1, down at verse 5 and 6, talks about Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn from the dead, the ruler over the kings of the earth, to him who loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. And has made us kings in priests to his God and Father. To him be the glory, dominion, forever and ever. Amen. Christ has made us kings. If you look back in the book of Deuteronomy. And in chapter 17. Verse 14, it talks about when they came into the land which the Lord your God has given you to possess it, to dwell in it, and say, and say, I will set a king over me like all the nations that are around me. That's what the, the people wanted. It says, surely they will set a king over them. But as you drop down to, to verse 18, it will be when this king sits on the throne of his kingdom that he shall write for himself a copy of this law in a book from one of the from the one before the priest, the Levite. And it shall be with him, and he shall read it all the days of his life, that he may learn to fear the Lord his God, and to be careful to observe all the words of this law and these statutes that his heart may not be lifted up above his brethren, that he may not turn aside from the commandment to the right hand or to the left, that he may prolong his days in his kingdom, he and his children in the midst of Israel. Paul, as he's writing to the Colossians, as was read in the third chapter, verses 12 through 17, reminds us of some things that we need to be involved in. Backing up to verse 1 and following a little bit, you were raised with Christ, seek those things which are above, where Christ is sitting at his right hand, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Verse 4, when Christ, who is our life, appears, then you shall also appear with him in glory. Put to death the things that are in the body that would destroy the soul. Drop down to verse 10 and 11. We put on a new man who is renewed in the knowledge according to the image of him who created him. 
where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, nor free, but Christ is all and in all. Therefore, in light of what he stated, reminding us of seeking the heavenly, the things that are above where Christ dwells, learning to slay the things of the body, the earthly desires and emotions that destroy, being strengthened in Christ, learning to be more like him. Therefore, as the elect of God, understand who we are, who it is that we belong to, that we're holy, godly. We've been set apart for the purpose of serving God. And we are beloved. With that in mind, and he goes on to say, one, how should we treat others? He says, put on tender mercies and kindness. How we treat one another. That's what we call the golden rule. In Matthew 7 and verse 12, to do unto others as you would have them do unto you. How we would like to be treated. Tender mercies. Seldom do we have everything that we need to know. And we need to be tender-hearted towards one another, kindness towards each other. And a state of mind is to be humble in one's mind. We all but are children. Children of God, children of the world, but we're children. As children, we are to be growing. As children, we're always growing. As children, we always come up short. So we are to be humble of mind towards each other. Meekness. Been described by some as power under control. Jesus is described as a meek man, the meekest of all. And there is a good definition of power under control. The ability to create, the ability to destroy, but the willingness to control that power. We have the word of God, which is the power of God unto salvation. To everyone who believes, to the Jew first, and then also to the Gentile. But there is to be a humbleness in mind there, meekness, and long-suffering towards one another. We never grow at the, or mature at the same rate. We're always learning, always growing. And need that, that need of being long-suffering towards each other. Our goal ought to be the same. Our goal is to do God's will so that indeed heaven can be our home. Bearing with one another. Forgiving one another. Even if anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so so you also must do. 
Sometimes it's hard to bear with each other, to give that opportunity for growth, to be encouraged and to challenge again, to always be true to God's Word, but to understand differences along the way of comprehension or of understanding at a particular time, forgiving one another. All of us have our faults. All of us have our shortcomings. We're striving to do God's will. We're striving to encourage one another to do God's will as well. Why, as we sing in the song, we're to sing of heaven. Sing to me of heaven. Let me fondly dream. These pearly portals and this golden gleam. Let me think about what it's going to be like. No way to fully comprehend that. But that's a goal that we strive for. As he's mentioned earlier, and as was mentioned in the prayer, may that day ever come when we do not see things based upon race, color, economics, social status, whatever it may be. It's hard as you're reading, as you read in there, there in verse 11. Again, go back to the first century and see what was there. Be familiar with that climate, if you will, of the world. And to be able to say that there is neither Greek nor Jew. Understand that animosity that was there in that first century between the Greeks, who was anybody who was not a Jew, and the Jews. Because the Jews thought they were special and God's chosen people wanted nothing to do with the Greeks. And therefore the Greeks wanted nothing to do with the Jews because they were arrogant and thought they were above everyone else. But in Christ, those barriers came down and they had to be hard to deal with. Yea, we come up out of a water grave of baptism to walk a new life, but we come up as a babe in Christ. And there's a learning process that's involved, and it's difficult. But those divisions were gone. They were neither circumcised or uncircumcision, religious basis in there. Again, that setting apart circumcision of the Jew to be set apart for the service to God and those that were not. And then for them to, to be able to come together and to have that unity that God has provided through that blood of Jesus. There is neither barbarian. Barbarian was just, as they would call it, the heathen, as we might call it today. Those that were very informal, very... The, uh, not educated, whatever else one might want to use. The word basically came from when you come across somebody who doesn't speak the same language that you do and you hear them talk, they sound like this, bar, 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 bar. Uh, so it became barbarians. Those who did not speak the language that you were comfortable with and had customs that you were not familiar with. And then there was the Scythians who had to be worse than the barbarians. And evidently some of them had become Christians. 
And then there was this melting pot of coming together in Christ, of being this oneness in Christ. But Christ has made us free, and Christ is in one and in all of us. That characteristic, that's the one to be growing. Seek the things that are above, where Christ is, sitting at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above and not on the things of the earth. Constant reminder to us of the mindset that we are to have. The mindset of Christ who came to this earth who lived and dwelt among people that had long forgotten, really, what it meant to be a child of God. They were caught up in their traditions. They were caught up in their way of life. And they failed to see the Scriptures, and they failed to see a Messiah. And they failed to understand what it was that God was striving to do. And for Christ to be patient, long-suffering, granting that opportunity, granting that time, constantly reminding them, constantly challenging them of what God would have them to do and that mindset that God was looking for. Not the things on the earth, but the things that are above that learning to forgive. Think how hard it had to be. You see a little bit in Acts 9 after Saul of Tarsus is converted. First part of 9, he is leaving Jerusalem, headed for Damascus to search out Christians, to bring them back to Jerusalem, to have them tried and put to death. He talks about later on when it came time to cast his vote for their death, he cast his vote to put them to death. He had made havoc of the church. He had destroyed households, caused orphans and widows and widowers. And then he's converted and he comes back. It's hard to be forgiving. And the early disciples had, it, had found it difficult to receive Saul of Tarsus when he came to Jerusalem. And it had to be Barnabas, that son of encouragement, that would speak up. And then things could change. That change of forgiving and working with each other to realize I lay my petitions before God I'm begging God for forgiveness of sins. I'm praying to God for patience to help me to learn and to grow, to be more God-like, more Christ-like. And if I'm not willing to do that with another, how is it that I expect God to do that with me? 
If I'm wanting God to do it with me, why will I not let God do that with another? Christ forgave you. So you also must do. Option's not there. Option's not there. The forgiveness is to be there. We're to put on love, which is the bond of perfection or the bond of unity, the bond that ties us together. It is that characteristic that Christ has exhibited, that God has exhibited. God so loved the world that he gave. Christ so loved us that he gave his life so that we might have life through his blood that he shed on that cross. It is what ties us together. It's what ties a family together physically. It's what ties a family together spiritually. Learning to be united in what God has done for us. And let this peace of God rule in your heart. Satan again is active, alive, powerful, deceptive, cunning, destructive. And there's a need for us to let this peace of God rule in our hearts. To remember what it is again that Christ came to do. To seek and to save the lost, of which we all are or were, until we came to that knowledge of God and His will. And to understand that this is what we were called for, to let this peace of God, again, to take everything in the world and not let it rule us. Everything that the world seeks for in this realm of peace, with this realm of equality, with this realm of breaking down racial barriers, breaking down social barriers, and all the divisions that exist. Everything that the world seeks after and is not able to achieve. Look at all the laws that have been legislated. And it has not been achieved. Look at all the wars that have been fought. And it has not been achieved. That it is, it is to be found in the body of Christ. Those barriers are gone. They're gone. There's a oneness. We find it throughout our lives at times, this oneness. Even husbands and wives, as they become one, still have this distinction, if you will. A husband, a wife, but they are united. 
But there are times when there are differences in ways of perceiving things. For those of you who are married, understand very clearly, husbands and wives think differently. They're just different ways of thinking and doing things. And it makes logical sense to both sides. And illogical sense to one side for the other. But it's a grown process. So it is with children as they grow into adulthood and into beyond, into older age. Every age sees things differently. So it's hard for us to work at this concept to let the peace of God rule in our hearts. God wants that oneness. We're to strive to maintain it and to achieve it within our lives. We were called into one body. And we ought to be thankful. So grateful that God has so chosen to give us that time and that opportunity to be one. And how do we do that? Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. James had talked about not just being hearers only, but doers of the word. Jesus closed out the sermon on what we call the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, 6, and 7, with the same thought. The one who hears and does these words is the wise man. The one who hears but doesn't do is the foolish man. So it's not just hearing. To let that word dwell, take up its abode, take up its living, dwell, its living quarters in you. It's what you think about. It's what you meditate on. It's the standard to which we strive to conform. To let it dwell in us richly, teaching and admonishing one another. What we continue to do. All the way through, physically we do that. From a newborn baby to our old age, we continue to teach one another. And as we grow older and those, ro- and those roles get sometimes reversed, we're still teaching, are we not? We're teaching compassion, teaching love. We already live in a society that cares nothing for the unborn. We already live in a society that cares nothing for a deformed baby at birth. We already live in a society that cares nothing for the aged. And laws have already been enacted, being enacted. Practices are already there. We live in a society that believes and practices the survival of the fit. Anything else does not count. If you're not productive, if you're not beneficial to society, there's no reason for your existence. That's not what the Bible teaches. 
And that's who we are. What the Bible teaches. Why he talked about tender mercies, kindness, humbleness of mind, meekness, long-suffering, bearing with one another, forgiving one another, putting on love, letting that peace of God dwell within us. Let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly. Teach and admonish each other along the way. In our psalms, our hymns, our spiritual songs, singing with grace in your hearts to the Lord. And whatever you do, in word or deed, do all in the name of the Lord Jesus by His authority. What is it that He would have us to do? How would He have us treat one another? How would He have us encourage one another? How would He have us express our love for one another? And for those who stand in need, giving thanks to God the Father through Jesus. It's God who makes it possible. It's only God and His Word that makes it possible. For us to even have the privilege, the honor, the obligation, and the responsibility to be exactly who Christ has called us to be. Be ye children of God in the midst of a crooked and perverse generation among whom you shine as lights. That only comes with a surrendering of all to God. Not always easy, but it is always right. All to thee I surrender. I surrender all. We're teaching one another in this song. We're admonishing one another in this song. We're encouraging one another in this song. How does it apply in the life you're living? Be it to become a child of God, be it to renew that life in Christ Jesus again. If there's a need to make a life right with God, if we could assist you, if we could help you, then indeed we bid you to come as together we stand and sing.